Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie reviews and discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And this week, my guests and I are chatting about one of the sleeper hits of 2022, that being director Mimi Cave and writer Lauren Kahn's biting directorial debut, Fresh, in which Noah, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, frustrated by the horrors of modern dating, casually stumbles upon her dream guy Steven, played by Sebastian Stan, but what seems like a budding romance quickly devolves into a fight to keep all of her, well, limbs. And joining me to chat fresh is Cultured Vulture's film editor and a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic, Natasha Alva. Natasha, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, we've worked together uh, on Cultured Vultures for so long, it's nice to kind of get to chat about uh, one specific movie in a little more depth, maybe, uh, you know, outside of emails and Google Docs. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely nice. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed your review so much. So you were the uh, the obvious guest to reach out to to chat about uh, Fresh. Um, but before we kind of dive into Fresh, as is tradition at Daily Horror Habit, I'm curious, what was the first horror movie or moment that uh, left a profound effect on you, for uh, better or worse? Um. Okay, so... Can I say like two? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, Usually, right. That's the thing about the question is that I always <laughs> like have one in mind, but I should expect people to have multiple because we all have like multiple points of references, I think, for uh, horrifying experiences. <laughs> yeah. So I think the thing about horror is that I enjoy watching it, but then at the same time, I also regret because I'm such a scaredy cat. Like, <laughs> I get, like I have a vivid imagination, right? So it's like... Uh, I'll watch something and then I'll get scared by it. But I think the one that had the profound effect on me was, uh, and I wrote about it on Cultured Vouchers, was Event Horizon. Yeah, <laughs> which is like stupid, <laughs> but uh, it it it. I think it's the cosmic horror aspect, right? So I think if you've watched the show, you will know that something happens, you know, in the Event Horizon, right? And um something happens to the crew right and the, the whole way no one quite knows what happens until they listen to the captain's log and then we get like brief kind of um, flashbacks to you know what was going on and I think I mean it looked troubling <laughs> from the glimpses that I got right yeah. it, it looked disturbing um, and I've always been tempted to like pause it and kind of look and see what exactly these images are but I'll, I've just been too scared and I think uh, when I was writing the article for Cultured Vouchers, I thought that I could watch it again because it was something that I was scared of when I was younger, right? You know, but I thought that now that I'm older and mature, that um, I wouldn't be scared of it anymore. And I watched it again and I was still <laughs> <laughs> terrified. I had to write the article with the lights on and I had to make sure that my husband was in the room or in the house so that. Yeah, so that I wouldn't be scared having to kind of relive. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it is for you, right? But when I write it, the images kind of play in my head, you know, like the the outstanding parts. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just scares me. I, it's just the idea of what hell could be. It's just terrifying. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that's a, that's a great, and you definitely, if the movie scared you, you definitely don't want to pause and look at those images because as somebody that's seen the movie a couple of times, it's uh, Wait, disturbing is an it? understatement. Have you done it? Have you paused? I, I have not see? just because I've, you know, I've seen it so many times, but um, you know, and supposedly there is it like a lost director's cut of that version that of that movie that yes, has yes, an extended yes. sequence of that, that. You know, it's probably yeah. probably better left to being lost just based off of what yeah. was in the movie. But um, no, I think that that's a really great movie that when you go, come to that movie for the first time, like you're not really expecting where that movie goes, I think, you know, because it is this blending of sci-fi and horror and specifically cosmic horror, like you mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, the first time I saw it, the cosmic horror really does sneak up on you because kind of when you're, at least when I was like a teenager and I saw it, I was expecting it to be more along the lines of what you expect from sci-fi movies, right? There's going to be an alien or there's going to be a monster and, you know, getting a better appreciation for it on rewatches and getting older. And it's more about, you know, how the ship affects each person individually, which is really the great cosmic horror element of it, right? It kind of preys on each of these characters in a specific way, um, which makes it, I think, that much more terrifying for me past just, you know, the clearly disturbing images. Um, Thinking about more how you can basically be sort of infected by this thing that then preys on your weaknesses. It's a terrifying concept, no no matter the age when you see it. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my brother laughed at me because he watched, he rewatched it with me and uh, I was, I think I, I closed my eyes <laughs> during the captain's log scene and he was just like, look, it's nothing, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're just doing, you know, it's some, um, I mean, it looked like an orgy, basically, but uh, yeah, I just, I just could not watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, as somebody that watches a lot of horror movies, um, yeah. it's the type of thing where <laughs> more so I react not so much to the, to the gore and that side of things just because you know when you're inundated with those types of movies you become desensitized to it after a certain point but what sticks with me again is kind of just seeing people in these very unrealistic scenarios that are grappling with things that could be things that anybody could experience right and i think specifically in event horizon like preying upon characters that have had loss and how that has consumed them and it's like well this is the the culminating event, but, you know, very fantastical and horrifying, but still it's tapping into real world experiences that people could have. And for me, it's more when I'm like, if I was to write something like that, it would be a similar thing where it would just be like, not the most pleasant thing to write probably because of thinking about how dark it is and how it can be very like depressing considering which movie and subject matter you can be writing about. Um, So I definitely think that, you know, not to make fun of you, but not like I'm writing with the lights on, <laughs> but it is the type of thing where it's not like I'm in my usual, maybe more casual writing mode. It's definitely something that, you know, takes a little longer because it is kind of like dark subject matter to be dabbling in sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I don't know. It's just it's just particular types of horror that gets to me. Like, I think, like, I mean, we both love, uh, you love Possessor, right? Cronenberg uh, film. Um and I enjoyed it so much and I think I've watched it like a few times but I'm not like it's not horrifying to me in a personal way like um, you know and I think I think some of the ideas that are fleshed out are quite actually quite scary right the idea of perhaps you know possible loss of autonomy over 
your body, right? You know, over your, your agency. So I think that's quite scary. But I don't know, like it doesn't scare me on a on a <laughs> personal level. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah. So that would be the yes, the trauma. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Was there uh you mentioned there was another another moment or movie that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the other one was um I don't I I have a a bit of a I think I think I kind of narrow it down to what kind of horror scares me and I think it's got if it's like particularly religious in nature if it's like possession related I guess depending on the film right but I think the when I watch um the Emily Rose movie what's the title the film uh, title The Exorcism of Emily Rose I believe Yes mm-hmm. yeah that one I watched it in the cinema with my family after I had watched uh Just Like Heaven <laughs> with Reese <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, right? So we watched that first and this was a later um timing. So we went and watched that. So this is the like the last movie in my head before I went to bed and I could not sleep. I, it was just about the way I think I just could relate a lot, right? Because I was at university. Was it I don't think I was that young, that old, but I think I could just relate to the idea of being this girl going away for school, right? And, you know, just being very isolated from her family and then, you know, going through all these things. And I think it it was just really frightening, like to see what happens to her body. Yeah. And once again, just like Event Horizon, I watched it again, like a few years later, because I think I can't be, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, when you're younger, everything seems scarier, right? But when you're older, uh, you know, things that used to scare you don't scare you anymore. And I watched it again, and I was terrified again, and I had to sleep in my parents' room. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, and my dad was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And I was like, God knows, man. So I keep playing this game of chicken with myself, but I've not like won as of yet. So um, yeah, so these are, these are the two films, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when you think back to movies from, you know, your childhood or your teen years that you saw that really scared you and then revisiting them, it's always kind of like a treat I find when I go back and in my mind, I've probably been thinking like, oh, well, your mind fills in the gaps of what you don't remember. And it's definitely more, not as terrifying as you remember it being, or you were latching on to, like in my case, uh, my parents talking about movies like The Exorcist was kind of like built it up to be this thing. And it's like, yeah, it's still a terrifying movie, but like how much of that was seeing my parents scared of something and then that informing me, like being like, oh, well, this this has to be the scariest, most traumatic thing that's ever been made. And, you know, <laughs> there's an argument that it is. But um, I think that that movie, uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, is one that, again, it takes that exorcism, you know, genre and tropes that are with that. But the reason why I think that movie stands out to so many people as being one of the, you know, de facto more contemporary uh, exorcism movies is because of the things that you mentioned, is that it's drawing from experiences that are coming from someone or some place that are relatable, right? I mean, I don't think many of us are, can uh, can relate to, you know, having a spirit take over our bodies and have us float around and contort like that. But the idea of like isolation, of loneliness, of feeling like you are trapped in, you know, whether it be whatever situation some people might be in or, you know, just being, again, isolated from family and not having a direct support system nearby, like those are all coming from a place that more people can relate to. And, you know, I think that's 
where horror becomes a really great vessel to explore those things because some people might not want to see a movie about people that are dealing with those things. But if you say, oh, well, there's an exorcism and a supernatural part tied to it, then more people might buy into it or be uh, inclined to check it out when otherwise they might not be. <laughs> so it's like therapy through horror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes those are the best kinds of horror movies, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you yeah, know, yeah. in diving into uh, into Fresh, um, you know, that's a movie that for me is yet another example of a, a streaming service like Hulu that does not properly market uh, some of their gems, right? I mean, this one has Sebastian Stan, so I would believe that it had a little more marketing than some of the other things out there. But, you know, having this movie drop to little, I would say, mainstream fanfare in terms of like getting the word out there ahead of time, like this was such a pleasant surprise to like come home from work on a Friday. I don't want to do anything. And I'm like, oh, there's a new Sebastian Stan movie and it's a horror movie and just throwing it on. And it's being such a strong directorial debut for so many reasons. And, you know, it's a movie that I think feels like two very distinct halves. Yet when you think about it as a whole, it does a really great job of like blending those two halves. Um, so I think before we kind of dive into the uh, the more cannibalistic side of Fresh, uh, what did you think of Mimi Cave and uh, Lauren Kahn's portrayal of, you know, the modern dating space? Because that's a good chunk of the movie up front. And I'm curious, yeah. how did that land for you? Um, I think, you know, the, the very first uh, date that Noah has with that strange man mm -hmm. at, <laughs> I think, a Chinese restaurant, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I see my fair share of those. Um. Yeah, I mean, generally when you go on a first date with someone that you've not really met in real life, it can be awkward, right? But I think a lot of the times, uh, not to generalize, um, sometimes certain men take rejection in a particular way. Like, I think you saw, like, the way he um, took rejection from her and then he kind of lashed out and called her, I think he called her a bitch. Yeah. Right? Or he said something. Yeah. Um. And that has happened quite a few times, <laughs> uh, essentially. So I think uh, that was quite, I think, quite spot on, right? And I think the difficulty, I think, um, and the exhaustion, the, the tedium of it, right? <laughs> Imagine having to consistently kind of put yourself out there, right? You know, get all dressed up, you know, and, and go out, you know, and, and do this whole thing and, you know, and it just doesn't work out like you can you can kind of tell immediately from you know the first date or whenever right um and before that already there's all the work as well right because you have to kind of you know filter through all these messages that you get right um you know from whomever <laughs> right because i think um because i i mean i teach lit right so i think when i had my profile i think i put there you know i'm an english lit teacher right and this guy like wrote me a poem and it was not a good <laughs> so um, yeah um yeah so i think she they i mean they really captured i think the the tedium of it i think uh and the frustration because you know it's you i mean at the end of the day we all want to i think connect 
with someone, right? I mean, we, you know, romantically or not, right? We're all looking for connection, right? And I, I can, I mean, I felt her frustration. I could completely understand it. And I think the idea is that we don't meet people in real life anymore. Like, I mean, I've never, you know, <laughs> had someone go up to me at like a place and like, you know, or something kismetly kind of happens in real life, right? Like now, if you want to meet someone, you kind of go through the apps most of the time right or I don't know your friends set you up on blind dates or whatever yeah so I think um, they really captured that and I think um, the danger I think we don't talk about it a lot right but it's actually it can actually be quite scary yeah I think whenever I was arranging like a first date with you know a guy that I hadn't met in real life right there would be like I would need to take precautions to like protect myself, right? So I had to make sure that I would tell someone where I, would, I was going, right? Um, or, you know, um, and um, update, you know, either my brother or, you know, my family, you know, periodically so that they know that, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm alive, right? Um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, some people can, some people might feel that it takes away from the spontaneity of dating, right? That you have to go through all these kind of, you know, yeah, uh, I mean precautions, right? Just to just to meet someone. Yeah, so I think I think they really captured it. Yeah. Yeah, that entire first segment I think is so well done, and it's it's this thing where it's like she clearly they're making a commentary on, and they're you know giving a portrayal of the side of dating that you know as a man I would clearly would not have for all the reasons that you stated, right? All these extra steps in these things, but I think that. It's so crucial to establishing that atmosphere and that understanding of what that other side of that experience can be like. And it's they do such a fantastic job, I think, of just like showing the like you had said, the mundanity of that type of date where this guy like can barely have a conversation. A, he doesn't tell her until like five seconds before she walks in the restaurant. Hey, it's cash only, which it's like that's like would have been a nice heads up, which right away, like. There's so much prep in going to a date that the idea that you're throwing a potential curveball like that, that could be embarrassing right away just shows like, well, clearly I'm putting more thought into this than the other person. They couldn't be bothered to just the smallest of details. So it's like, what else haven't they, you know, it kind of creates that uh, not mistrust, but just like unease of going into a situation where it could be evolving in ways or something like that, that you aren't prepared for. But I mean, also just capturing the awkwardness of a first date where like, what does the guy want to talk about? He wants to talk about his scarf and the fact that hot sauce like makes him want to vomit. Uh, like the idea of sitting there and <laughs> like you feel for her in that moment that she is catching this like one-sided ear beating about nothing. And, you know, yeah. learning a lot from people without them coming right out and saying it, like specifically the way he treats the waitress, right? He gets stuff on his sweater and he starts like speculating whether or not she speaks English and he's like doing that thing that, you know, obnoxious uh, Americans do sometimes (laughs) where they're like, oh, well, if I talk loud and slowly, she'll understand that type of thing. And I think that they do such a great job of allowing in that instance having that character like show who he is rather than you know telling us outright i think that um they do a good job of establishing that in a short amount of time and capturing you know again like the dating sphere of things where it's kind of like yeah she has to check in with her friend she has to tell the restaurant she needs to text her before she goes in and after she and when she's leaving and 
you know, that moment early on when they're leaving the restaurant and, you know, clearly it's not been a great date, uh, which, you know, you would hope the audience has picked up on at that point. And of course, the guy is like, well, yeah, we're just going to make out now because like, that's what we do. And when she rebukes (laughs) that, because clearly like they're not a match um, and he snaps like that's a that's a like a disturbing moment in the movie where it's just like as soon as she rebukes him, he immediately just like turns on a dime and like actually tells how he feels, which I thought was a a good contrast again to like showing his behavior and then having him basically tell her in the audience who he is at a moment's notice. Yeah, um, yeah. that entire ele- uh, first date portion of the movie I thought was really well done, and it doesn't feel dragged out. And I think that's something that. I was really impressed with in terms of like going over the various types of dating in the movie, right? Because you have the in-person date and then we have the app portion of it where it's like, oh, she matches with a guy that has a cute dog in his profile. What's the first thing that she receives after hey or hi is, you know, (laughs) what are you wearing? And then, you know, of course, receiving the uh, the elude image uh, from the potential suitor. But I just like (laughs) that. And that's putting it politely. Um, I think that it's great, though, that. We don't, we don't have to be like beaten over the head in terms of the amount of examples we get, right? I think that it's a very yeah. concise movie for just being under two hours. Um, the flow of it is really, really well done. Um, and, you know, we don't have to have a montage of three or four dates. We don't have to have six different text exchanges and these things. Like, again, it's, it makes the point and it covers the different facets of dating. And then it moves on, which, you know, shows the growth uh, in terms of the pacing but also of just like understanding why she leaps at the chance to be with uh you know sebastian stan and when he's introduced um they do a really great job of just of establishing her desperation for connection or meet rather maybe meaningful connection uh in the way that she's been looking for yeah um i mean I, i do think that uh the whole idea of like gender and dynamics and power also come into play right because i think the first thing you know one of the things that he tells her on the date is that you know you, you know women should wear dresses more oh, yeah. right you know like she would look good in a dress right you know like there is a i mean and i think generally this is why i think sometimes the dates fall apart right because there is a kind of perception on what um, the man and the woman would bring into the relationship and that expectation kind of drives everything, you know? So, and I think it, it builds into the bigger theme in the movie, right? Which is the idea of um, this idea of objectification of women, right? On, on I mean, on a, you know, in this case, a mass consumerist scale, right? But generally, I think that's the point, right? A relationship cannot, become a relationship if one person is the object right and the other person you know the object is just there to kind of you know match up to the other person's needs and desires and whatnot right so it has to be two agent people and I think that was what was wrong with that first date like everything you know he he didn't she was just there as like a prop she wasn't there as like a person yeah so yeah yeah and you know that really comes through I think in the type of conversation they're having, right? It's him talking at her, just like spewing yeah. this nonsense at her and showing who he is. And she's not, ref- she's barely reacting to it, which, you know, is probably uh, red flag number one. The fact that like what he's saying and her response is not dictating what he is saying in terms of like the flow of a normal conversation or there's no asking questions really about her. It's critiquing 
his idea of what she would look like or what she should look like, um, which yeah. again, like is a major red flag. But also I think what they do a good job is of following that date up with her walk to her car, right? And how, you know, already on edge from that and from that date and how it ends and how he just becomes so nasty and, you know, calls her a bitch and stuck up in these things. And then when she's walking to her car, right, she hears somebody walking down, like it's that very classical, like walking down a dark alley thing and having that fear of being attacked. And for a moment there, I was like, well, is this going to play out with him following her to her car, right? Which creates that idea that it's like, well, further restating the potential danger of rebuking a date or an advancement from Mm. a date, you know, which it doesn't end up playing out that way. It ends up being, oh, it's just a guy and a cute baby walking down a dark alley. But it captures the fear, though, that you can have, whether or not you've had that experience of a date like that beforehand, but it's just the idea that the world is a scary place before, you know, charming, handsome, and serial killer Sebastian Stan shows up, right? Um, And I think that there's a good balance of those three things that, and this is kind of like what I was saying earlier about horror being a vessel for conversations and experiences and realities that, you know, this type of film, if it did not have the horror element to it, I'm sure there would be certain portions of moviegoers that would look at sort of the 30 minutes that we've talked that we've been talking about and be like, well, I don't really want to watch a movie about that or that's not interesting to me. And, you know, taking these real world experiences and putting them into a genre movie, I think is a really interesting way to get people on board that maybe for whatever reason, might not want to watch that kind of movie. And I don't know, I just, it's always interesting. I always think about the genre of horror in that way because, you know, people like to say, well, it's it's this or that. They have these preconceived notions of the genre and what it can do and what it's capable of. And, you know, to have a movie like this that goes where it goes um, and have 30 minutes of it that are not horror focused, but I guess a real world horror or a scary side of a reality that so many people have around the world, um, it just further shows just like the importance of the genre, I think, and its capacity to have, you know, real people having real experiences or reliving real experiences um, that, you know, can make for uh, maybe thought provoking or just important types of conversations that people should be having. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think I I watched uh, X recently, and um, I think it did such a good job of talking about I think um, our perceptions of like sex, femininity, right, aging, you know. So um, and maybe maybe yeah, I mean maybe it's uh, you know it's more palatable I guess if it comes packaged as a horror, right? Like I don't feel you know, um, I, I mean, then I might just be less, I think, uh, yeah, more inclined, I guess, to approach these topics. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I just, uh, actually, I just had somebody on last week chatting about X and how it achieves that very thing, right? Where it talks about so many different subject matters, especially, like you had said, sexuality and femininity in a way that I, I even said to my guest, I was like, we're going to refer to it as a slasher because it's a Thai West slasher film that's how it's built but it almost feels like a disservice because it pays so much attention to and has such a you know a graceful exploration of certain things that might be viewed as taboo you know very literally they're making a porno right in the in the woods um but just yeah. the way in which it's able to handle a lot of taboo subject matter 
but not feel like it's punching down on either party, right? Whether it be the actors and performers or this elderly couple, um, it doesn't. It's a film that really tackles multiple people from different walks of life, and without really casting judgment on any one party. Um, I thought it was a really, really interesting. Uh, approach to characters in that movie because I was not expecting that at all. Not to say, you know, Ty West yeah. can't uh, can't make a movie that dabbles in more than just the genre elements, but that movie uh, X in particular, I thought, did a really, really great job of doing that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, in getting to the introduction of Sebastian Stan at that point, it's not a surprise that like she is completely taken with him after the sort of... <laughs> The hellish first 30 minutes, right? I mean, Sebastian Stan might be a difficult uh, difficult suitor for most to turn down, but it's the type of thing that you're given, like the film does the legwork, I think, in establishing why she's looking past the red flags. Or at that point, there might be like minor red flags or red flags. It depends, I guess, how you view certain things that he does. And obviously in the back of our mind, we all know where the movie is heading. Um, but I think that... They do a really great job of just showing this person that is very vulnerable, you know, understanding why she is falling for something that is very clearly not going to be the best of situations. Um, did, yeah. How did you feel about the sort of introduction of him and her being so smitten with him after, you know, the first 30? I think, I mean, I think the great thing about the film is really the casting, right? Yeah. So. I agree with you about Sebastian Stan, right? I think I think <laughs> some people are not watching the movie for the message. <laughs> but to, to, right. I think to swoon over him, right? Yeah. And I think um because he is so charming and so charismatic, right? Um, it becomes easier for her to ignore, you know, anything that perhaps might be a bit troubling. If the guy had been less charming or not as good looking right I think uh, he was very persistent uh, to get her number right you know and he and he started a conversation out of nowhere right there wasn't even like you know did they both reach for the same letters or something like that there wasn't even something like this right so he kind of instigated a conversation out of nowhere right but at the same time there's also this idea of that's how people kind of you know sometimes that's how you kind of meet someone in real life, right? You you just chat up a stranger and then you become more than strangers, right? So, so it has a very interesting intermingling of both these elements because we are on the lookout because we know that there's something off about him, right? But we are able to discern that because we are objective or we're detached. Whereas she's there and she's receiving the full measure of his charisma and dazzling smile right <laughs> so uh, and he's giving her grapes right, right? and I'm just like <laughs> yeah so um, and I don't know it's like and you know the, the conversation was like pleasant as well like obviously he's kind of witty kind of funny right so you could kind of understand why she would be into that you know yeah so um yeah, you know, and sometimes we, sometimes I think the thing about, you know, I think even for me, right, I think sometimes we, we feel that maybe we, we might overread things a little bit too much. Maybe it's not as bad as we think it is, right? And, you know, we're just overreading it. Sometimes we might think that as well. But I think at that point, her guard was down. 
and she was really she was just you know after all the bad dates right the dates that were not panning out it's just refreshing <laughs> the title right <laughs> to to meet someone you know who you can click with right and who seemed to like care and want to banter with her and just joke with her so i i thought that they did a good job and he did a good job of playing that role but also having that sense of there's something not quite right like he 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 it was very subtle but he did play it up you know there was something just not quite right about how he is you know but it's difficult to pick up i think in the moment so yeah yeah you know he was an actor that outside of marvel stuff i was not super familiar with and so oh. that was that was what have you what have, what else had you seen him in previously have you seen him? You, you would know that he would be able to be like a villain, right? If you've seen him in The Covenant. Have you watched that? <laughs> was that like an early 2000s horror movie? That sounds familiar. It's like, it's quite trashy, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, he basically, he has like superpowers in oh. the film uh, and he's like the antagonist. Um, so from then on, I knew that he could he could be the villain and he kind of relishes that, like, you know, he can play the role quite well I feel but I think because he's known mostly as like Bucky right you know like he's been mostly like a good guy right uh, you know um, that what that's what we've seen him from so I think that when the Sundance crowd first watched this film I think they were all kind of like they were raving about it that's how I heard about it it was on Twitter right and they were all like you know talking about it and I think it was I think a little bit shocking I guess because of who he had been portraying right you know it's like Chris Evans playing a villain or antagonist, right? You're just like, you don't expect it a little bit. Yeah. So that's why I say the casting is like quite spot on. Yeah. That's a great comparison because in terms of like Chris Evans, like in Knives Out, him being this like crazy guy that at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, he's so charming and witting and handsome. And yet at the end of the day, he is the the villain of that (laughs) film. Um, Yeah. I think though, yeah, with Sebastian Stan, I was... You know, like I said, now I know that he was in the Covenant, which shows you how well I remember that one. But uh, uh, I just—I <laughs> don't look- blame you. I don't. <laughs> I just looked it up. It's rocking a hot four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> Told you it's trash. It's, it's not a good film, but it's very—it's very entertaining if you're a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you know Sebastian Sand does such a great job because they were smart in that he plays against type, right? In that the fact you would not expect someone like that with that persona and what he's known for to then, you know, do a 180 and play the opposite of that. And yet until the very end of the film, I think he does such a great job of maintaining that balance that even once we have the reveal of who he is and what he's doing, like he still is so matter of fact about everything that I don't know. I found almost in the back of your mind, you're just like it, wait a sec, is he actually this bad person or this evil person? He's so casual about it. Could this be the same person that's, you know, cutting off limbs yeah. and selling them? Like, there's still that, even though, of course, you know what he's doing, like, he's cr- able to keep that illusion of who he could be potentially a little bit, which was a really rare trait. And it's, I think what stops him from feeling like, you know, like a maniacal serial killer or villain in that traditional sense, right? He's not super over the top once the reveal has been made of who he is and what he's doing. And I think that that's important up until, you know, the very end of the film that he never really allows anybody to see him as he is until, you know, he begins to spiral and everything kind of collapses, which I think 
if anything, it makes him a scarier villain, right? That he's able to keep that composure even when he's presented, he's presenting the victims with like what he's doing and their reality. Um, I, I find that to be incredibly more disturbing than, you know, him all of a sudden he starts cackling and giving monologues and like touting uh, his trophies and stuff in front of them, right? <laughs> it never really quite becomes as, you know, not comical, but uh, maniacal as it could be, I think, which then at the end of the day would sort of undercut, I think, the fact that, yeah, again, he's playing off of his perceived strengths. And I think that using that as like the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing plays really, really well. Um, yeah. I think also just like, <laughs> like you said, that initial interaction between them, you're like, yeah, it plays better if it, if you, the person looks like Sebastian Stan instead of that, you know, the old man, like, licking milk off his fingers that she encounters like one aisle before like that scene plays very different if that is the guy (laughs) yep yep (laughs) but i mean i think one element that and it might be a minor element but i think that it is the signal point of the film that like okay we're changing gears in a drastic way is the 33 minute mark when the title card finally drops, which is so well done. I didn't realize the first time because I'm just so in the moment of what's happening, right? They kind of, they have this budding romance. They're, she's smitten with him. They're taking off and whatnot. And then he, of course, talks her into a weekend getaway at his house, or it was supposed to be somewhere else, but they have to spend the night conveniently at his house beforehand. And, you know, what happens? He ends up drugging her and reveals that he is this guy that basically kidnaps women, cuts off, as he very eloquently puts it, he cuts off their meat and then sells it to these like Satanists and whatnot. Um, the ultimate sort of satire on consumerism uh, and over <laughs> over uh, indulgence and vices and things. And, you know, I just love from a, a creative standpoint, that title card, because it marks like the shift and the reveal. And then there's a good, you know, I would say, longer almost another 100 minutes or so or not 100 minutes but like 80 minutes or so after that kind of leaning more into the genre the genre element side of things um but at the same time like that same style and craft of you know blending the music having really great set design which you know the more you explore his lair plays out but you just get this really fantastic title card that has this very 70s-esque music it has sort of almost like a psychedelic sort of dancing of visuals on the screen. And it kind of reminded me, um, I don't know if you've seen Vertigo uh, by Alfred Hitchcock, but there's there's a similar thing where it's like playing with like oranges and reds and having this very relaxed music playing behind it. But then the visuals themselves are quite intense. I don't know. I just, I love the sense of atmosphere that that has. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you, especially because of the soundscape. I think it really, really helped uh give the visuals that kind of pop and that kind of feel you know and i think i think it's very deliberate that you know she, uh she set it up you know for i mean the first 30 minutes it's like the setup of a rom-com basically right and then you know and then um the title card comes in and then you're like oh okay i mean we are in a very different film right and i think what well, i think that that setup is very intentional right because it builds into the viewers' expectations, right? Uh, it reminded me of uh, something very similar in like Promising Young Woman, which uh, had 
romantic rom-com kind of elements to it, right? And this this kind of leads the viewer, the audience, right, to kind of, in an unhealthy way, root for you know the people right when we're not supposed to be right so even until the end of promising young woman even though i knew that the guy is not a good guy right and you know and there were so many red flags about him there is still this kernel of hope that you feel that he will come and rescue her that he will do you know something he'll be a white knight right and i think generally that's what we we are taught right in the romance genre right and i think setting it up like that kind of gave it that expectation right and you you find yourself fighting it because you are very aware that he is a bad man that he has done all these things right and even though he keeps asserting that there's something special about her right you know that uh he seems to have captured her just for him right mm-hmm. for himself right it's not something you should be rooting for but it's like you know it's the, because of the way it's built right you will find yourself despite not wanting to kind of like you know like oh <laughs> look at them dancing <laughs> right. you know so i i think i mean i think the structure of it is very intentional in that way yeah yeah and you know that shift is really interesting on a rewatch because i think now i've seen this three times and you know knowing <laughs> the big obviously reveal of the movie and whatnot you start to pick up on how calculated every single thing he does in that opening 30 minutes is and, you know especially there's one line when they are having, I think it's their second date. They're having Chinese food at um, her house. Uh. And he's, there is like a plate of spare ribs or something in front of her. And he's like, Oh, I don't eat meat. He goes, I dare you to eat that whole plate of meat. And it's like in the moment when you're in that rom-com phase of the movie, it plays very kind of like cutesy. Like he's kind of like teasing her a little bit or this or that. But when you learn what he's actually doing later in the film, you're like, Oh, He's all about, like, I think he says he wants to, like, fatten up the meat or something later on. And, like, that whole interaction now has this sinister angle where it's like, oh, he's not, like, teasing a partner or a spouse. He's uh, he's actually, like, thinking about the how he can make her, this object that he views her as, like, the best product he can. Which I thought was, like, that took me aback for a moment when I rewatched it because I was like, this is so fucked. Even so early oh. on, when you don't, I mean, that's my interpretation of that scene, at least. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I that's interesting. I, I thought for me, it was definitely that scene. I went back to watch it, uh, and it was the fact that he said, "I don't eat animals." Mm-hmm, that as well, yeah. Yeah. So then that's because after that, when we mean you find out that he's he's basically a cannibal, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like. Thinking back, like, you know, did he lie? Like, so when you went back, actually, technically, he didn't lie. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he, 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 he said, I don't eat animals. But, you know, it's, it's something so, you know, sinister about that. Mm-hmm. Because for her, she's feeling like all these, you know, meat meat eater guilt, right? She's like, oh, you know, she's assuming he's a vegan, right? But he's something worse, <laughs> isn't it? So, um, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I did. I did not think about the fattening <laughs> thing. I just thought that which is horrific. Yeah, and you know that play that I think blends really well into the matter of fact nature in which he carries himself afterwards when she has that reveal, and you know she's chained up, and you know she tries to escape at that one point, and he has that scene where he's you know he quite literally like cuts off her her butt, I think is what he starts with, right? So she can't like, which 
is just so horrifically over the top that when you say like like you're we're both kind of giggling about it but like <laughs> because it's yeah. so ridiculous and so over the top and the way though that it is presented i think stops it from being slapsticky or devolve into something that's done as a gag in the movie right because i think that it's so over the top, but he's so matter of fact about it that he carries it like, well, it's normal. Like, I don't want you to escape. And then you start to see, like, for him, the practical use of doing that is that now she's almost immobilized completely. Right. And so I just think that, like, there's a really smart approach to the way that this whole concept is sold. And, you know, the conceit being that this, you know, the dream guy is a serial killer and a cannibal. But at the end of the day, like, they don't really allow that facade to break down until the very end of the movie, which is why I think the notion that, you know, he there's a Satanist society out there that wants this stuff and he's putting together these like weird fetish packages for these crazy rich people. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a concept that could very easily come off as being ridiculous in the moment when you're watching the movie. But I just find that like the construction of the casting and the characters and again like the attention to music in this is so well done that even the music yeah. is kind of like not acknowledging the very sinister things that are happening right i mean you get that great scene of sebastian stan like dancing through his house meanwhile yeah. he's like preparing charcuterie from a woman's severed leg and all of these things and yeah the movie almost carries it like well if you, the viewer, are weirded out by this, then you're the weirdo because this is all normal life kind of thing. I don't know. That's how I that's how I interpreted a lot of like the tones and the caring of uh, some really interesting subject matter. Yeah. I mean, I felt the use of music was very American Psycho. It had a lot of the a similar kind of vibe, right? Because he's doing, you know, I mean, definitely the dancing to the house, definitely that scene stood out because it's so campy and, you know, comical and you want to laugh, but it's just so disturbing at the same time, like how you said. Um, and yeah, and that, and the scene where he's taking off her butt, right? Um, you know, uh, he's playing like Peter Cetera's Restless Heart. And I love that song, right? It's like an 80s bop, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, he, and he's making all these faces, right? So his, his expressions is like, you know, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, like just exaggerated. And you, you feel, you know, but at the same time, they draw you into her pain you know, what she's experiencing in that moment while he's going, you know, while he's doing this entire thing, right? She and her discomfort and her pain. I think, um, and especially after that, when her recovery, right, from what he what he had done to her, I thought that was really, like, hard to watch, you know? Yeah. Just her interactions with, you know, her cellmates, right? She learns that, oh, there's somebody next door. Uh, who is going through something similar. And that, I think, really, you know, for as uh, aloof as he carries it in the reveal of what he's going to do to her, I think that that is the thing that kind of like brings you back for a moment and reminds you just how disturbing and how this is not going to be a quick process for her. Like the woman that's in the cell next to her can't even remember how long she's been there for. And, you know, there are very clear signs that she's been there so long and trapped there for so long that she's having, you know, residual effects to her mental state, right? Where she's like chuckling and laughing after everything she says, despite the fact, you know, she's down a few limbs at that point. Um, and also the realization that, 
okay, there's somebody next door. And then they get through their first conversation and she's like, oh, there's another girl down there who doesn't even respond anymore or something like that. And then it kind of just, again, as as restrained, I think, as the film is in terms of like, okay, presenting this disturbing subject matter in a way that is, you know, stylized in a way that's un- unexpected and unassuming, that it carries it a little differently. You're reminded periodically that like, oh no, this could, these cells could keep going and going and going and going and go. Like you don't know how, even how yeah. big the house is. Um, and yeah. that was an element that I think does a great job at, you know, just reeling the viewer back in for a moment and reminding them like, hey, yeah, you know, he's charming and this and that, but he's also doing this to not one person, not two people, not three people, potentially more, um, which I thought yeah. was a good balancing on that. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to ask you something. Yeah. Do you feel that um, he took Nova for himself? Like, yeah. Like not for, you know, the the greedy gang <laughs> that he's feeding, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that he took her for him, for himself? Yeah. So it took me on a rewatch to really kind of pick up on this a little more. But I view, him, I view his picking up Nora as basically her being the replacement for his current uh, fake wife, I think is, uh, I forget what her name is. I think it's Anna, but he has this like mock wife that he has that is basically his cover, right? To make him seem like he is just a normal married guy. And that's how I viewed his relationship with her in that he, again, he clearly views women as, you know, meat and objects. So he views her, I think, as being the replacement for that. And that's why, you know, He's so doting and he's, you know, showering her in specific gifts and things like that compared to, you know, what the treatment of uh, his other victims. And I just viewed because his relationship with Anna, there's only one or two brief scenes with them together. But there's a scene when I think they've just kidnapped um, uh, her friend and yeah. there it's Sebastian Stan and his fake wife in the bathroom. And they're like getting undressed and they're going to, you know, either go to bed or she's going to go shower. And he like puts both hands on her cheeks like he's about to kiss her. But then he starts like turning her face over in his hand, basically like looking for uh, either, you know, blemishes or stretch marks or, you know, wrinkles or something like that. And it was this reminder that like, well, this woman isn't really meaningful to him or special. It's just that she is facilitating a role, right? Which kind of comes back to the idea that he views all the women as objects. And as soon as he sees something, like God forbid he sees a wrinkle, what is his reaction going to be? Is he going to then, you know, it, does she go on the uh, the cutting board, right? And I think that that's even further reinforced by when she's getting undressed to go shower and you see that she's got a fake leg and it's like, well, what happened to her leg? It's like, well, clearly she was viewed as being one of his victims that, you know, through whatever fucked up hierarchy he has kind of like <laughs> elevated from victim to uh mock wife. But I kind of viewed, yeah, I viewed her basically as being the replacement for his current wife when he, you know, when he tires of her or something like that. How did you view their relationship? Um, I think that when he reeled her in, right, when he baited her and he hooked her, right, I don't think that he had decided on her being a replacement. But I do think that when he broke his own rules, that's when it appears that she had a more profound effect on him than he cared to admit. 
So I think, because um, I think he mentions, uh, I think the other women kind of mentioned that he didn't sleep with them, mm-hmm. like he didn't have sex with them, but he had sex with her, right? So, um, you know, I do think that, uh, and that's why he let his guard down so much with her. So I think it goes back to, you know, weirdly enough, the same thing we talked about earlier in the episode, right? The idea of how everyone just wants to find someone they can connect with, right? And I think on some level, he kind of felt that Noah would understand him. Uh, the, I mean, you know, the side, right? The, 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 the side that he can't show people, he can't reveal to people, right? Uh, you know, yeah. And I don't think he quite gets that with the the current wife right and I, I think you know you're right right she's just a cover she's just part of um, the mask that he wears for society right you know so I think the the possibility of Noah being able to understand him you know in in all his in all his facets right um, you know is the reason why I think um, yeah why it ends up the way it does uh, yeah, so I think I think the the main issue is that he can't probably he just can't have normal a normal relationship, right? That's how that's right. all how he knows how to get a woman is to possess her, mm. to own her, right, and to break her down until she's his. So I think, um, yeah, <laughs> that that's the idea, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that her character is so strong because she is able to. You know, she basically, by the end of the film, gives him a taste of his own medicine, right? She's able to take his mask and pretend to wear it for a uh, a certain part of the film, right? I mean, she does that really great uh, routine where, like, they're having this dinner and he's she's like, she knows exactly what to say to him to lure him in, right? It's kind of the reverse yeah. situation by the end of the film where she's able to pick up on his insecurities and the things that he desires, whether or not he's actually capable of possessing them uh, other than, you know, quite literally kidnapping people to possess them. But like that whole scene where she starts talking about like she wants to taste the meat, she starts like showing an interest in him. It really does parallel the date at the beginning of the film, right? Where she's asking questions, she's inquisitive about different things. What does it taste like? How did you get into this? This and that. And, you know, if you removed cannibalism, it's a conversation that, if it was any other conversation, it would be playing pretty well as a date, I think. They're, you know, yeah. they're being cutesy, they're making <laughs> puns over dinner, they're, you know, laughing and all these things. It just so happens that they're eating meat, people meat, and uh, talking about cannibalism. But, you know, I think that it shows her character being, I don't know, I was talking to some people that I had watched this with, and they don't like the second half of the movie because they don't buy into the fact that he would let his guard down or that she would be able to, you know, maneuver this or that. And I was like, well, it works so in tandem with what you, the legwork that went into the first 30 minutes of the movie that, you know, again, I view that date when she starts trying the meat, she starts making puns about like eating other people and things like that. Like she's doing that out of survival, right? It's not, she's playing off of his naivety or his gullibleness and that this woman all of a sudden is going to like, yeah, sure. I'm going to just become like the cannibal wife. Like that's a ridiculous notion based on what she's gone through and stuff. So I don't know. I felt that that whole end sequence just is a really fantastic arc for her character and kind of, you know, using the tools that are at her disposal in the moment, she's not going to be able to overpower him or call for help. So 
she uses the tools that she can kind of use to manipulate him that are available to her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't believe it's far-fetched at all. I believe that she would be able to because he did find her. I mean, they did have rapport. They did have banter. They did have chemistry, right? And I think it, it would be easy for her to call upon the same sentiments and the same feelings and recreate that, right? So she was just basically recreating um, what they had experienced before, right? And I thought, and I thought it was very interesting. Is that I think one point at the date, right? She actually kind of breaks down and she says, "I'm so confused, right? Because this is so nice, you know." And I found that moment really interesting because I'm like, "Is that like real? Like, was that a real admission from her?" Because I think sometimes pretending, you know, and you know, and doing this whole show and dance. It's also quite sad at the same time because this was someone she had a connection with or perceived, right? And you know, and uh, and I think in the pretending, it it does kind of um, remind her of that a little bit. So I don't know. It felt like a very real moment where she knows that she has to take him down, right? But at the same time, this is also kind of nice, <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's never had a date, yeah. uh, you know. Rem- Barring the fact that she's eating people, she never had a date probably go quite as smoothly as this one did. And, you know, the realization that this whole event is probably going to steer her away from dating in the future. But, um, you know, I really love the finale of this movie in that, of you know, for starters, like you have probably the most gruesome act of violence that I've seen in a movie this year. Right. The idea that after they have this nice uh, duo dance to this music and everything. It's very lovely. And, you know, there's the notion that they're going to go have sex now. And then, you know, (laughs) what does she do? She rips off his, uh, his member with her teeth, which, you know, even though he is this piece of shit that deserves it as a man, it just made me, you know, recoil in in terror uh, in a way that I thought was very well, obviously earned and deserved. Um, But I just feel that like, this is a movie dealing with that type of subject matter that there could be an over-reliance on violence. There could be an over-reliance on, you know, surgery scenes and, you know, her waking up every 20 minutes and a new limb is missing. But they really don't do that, I think. I think there's just enough leading up to that very bloody and violent finale that you don't necessarily become desensitized to violence. So that way, you know, again, periodically people will be wake up and miss a limb, but... You're not, there's not like an aggressive showing of gore or blood or just, you know, dismemberment throughout the movie that it makes the ending of that movie, you know, this bloodbath and this chaotic bloodbath that I thought really had a lot more grit to it because, you know, the whole movie, there's been this built up frustration, whether it be from the characters or the audience, like, when is this guy going to get what he deserves? And it just makes for a very cathartic and, you know, again, skin crawling ending to a movie that you kind of have been hoping it gets to this point the whole movie but at the same time like it hits in a way that is uh very (laughs) very more gruesome you know we (laughs) talked about desensitization to uh to violence or gore in these types of movies but yeah the ending to this movie is uh is something else (laughs) i thought that's what you meant when you said that she returned the fever Mm-hmm. So I thought the bite. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were referencing the biting thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
I watched it twice. So I watched it once by myself for to review it, and then I watched it with my because I enjoyed it so much. I knew that my family would enjoy it as well. <laughs> so I watched it with uh, my brothers and my parents, and in that scene, I think when she did it, all of us were like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and even though I knew it was going to happen because I watched it, right? I was still like, "Oh!" And then we were all like just cheering mm-hmm. her <laughs> on. We were like, "Get him!" Right? You know. And then like when they were like beating him up and stuff, and we were like, "Oh God, this is that." You know, like I mean, when we whenever you watch a horror, like you know that the guy's like not done and dusted. Like when they kind of you know tackle him in the in the in the house and everything, you know he's not dead yet, right? So we are all like finish him off, <laughs> right? Or no, he's gonna come after you, right? So um, yeah, and his and his rage, right? Uh, like what you said, that's when we see you know the monster underneath, you know all this charisma. That's when we kind of see it, you know. Yeah, but it felt. Really satisfying. I mean, I think I think I've seen some reviews which kind of feel that I think the ending is not as satisfying. I think as the first um, two thirds of the film, so they kind of feel like the conclusion. You know, the way it kind of ends. They don't. I don't. I think. Um, I guess they feel like it feels a bit, you know, like formulaic in the sense that it kind of builds up to this, you know, bloodbath. But I felt like it was really cathartic, and I think that she needed. <laughs> I mean, that we needed like an outlet for all that rage, and you know, yeah. So I think that needed to happen now. Yeah, no, I think that that ending plays as cathartic as it does because again, we don't we're not inundated with a lot of like escape attempts, right? Or her trying to stab him like multiple times throughout the movie or something like that, right? I think that the you know the filmmakers are able to have the audience be lulled into that as much as you know by the end of the film that uh, Sebastian Stan is the idea that you know they're being lulled into this sense of normalcy in what's happening or sort of everybody is playing their proper role or be kind of like becoming part of this illusion that he has cast and I think that that is kind of like snapping them back into reality and being like, no, 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 no. none of us are going to fall for this guy's uh, shtick or his act, right? We're quite literally going to have uh, some of the worst pain imaginable imparted on him. And I just love that you get that scene, but then it's followed up with the three women, you know, some of them now are missing more limbs than others. And they're basically beating the shit out of him in his workshop, right? The kitchen is his workshop. <laughs> is It's the, you know, the parallel to like Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre's workshop. It's just one of them has, you know, chrome appliances and the other one is a dusty house in the woods. Um, I just, <laughs> I just love that, you know, you get that moment where they get to gang up and basically give him a taste of his own medicine, um, which, you know, is very cathartic considering he's been uh, kind of, not gleefully, but he's been in his element for so long in the film that yeah. it's nice to see him be destabilized and have to show the monster that he actually is. Like, it's not just that his mask is removed, but the mask gets, you know, torn off, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was funny. It was <laughs> like when uh, I think the friend's uh, ex-boyfriend or something comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then he leaves. And all of us were like, that's so relatable. <laughs> I don't think I would like go up to the house if I heard gunshots. So I think that was, that was, that was really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I think I think um, yeah I I mean I I like that 
it's the kind of film I feel. I mean, even though it was on streaming, right? It's the kind of film that I could really imagine watching as part of an audience, and I think it yeah. would be so fun. Oh yeah, you know, so I could understand why. You know the Sundance people were like raving about it. It would be, have been a really like you know especially that last part, right? It would have been so satisfying to be in an audience and watch it unfold, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, I I mean I I enjoyed how it ended, yeah. Even though I mean we don't get any I guess answers about who these weird men are, right? The you know the rich men like you know who who they are what what are they about, right? You know. The whole um you know Illuminati satanic kind of concept, but I think we don't really need to know. I guess I I mean it's not pertinent. Yeah. Yeah, I I was actually in favor of just like you the fact that they don't really spend a great deal of time discussing that because if anything, you know it would more or less draw out this movie, which I think is pretty perfectly paced uh, in length for the story that it's telling, and you know having that clear shifting point of like what it evolves into. Um, but I think that there's just enough of that sort of satanic stuff in there, like the allusions to it. And you get that brief montage of like the guys opening up their creepy care packages that you get the point, right? You get just enough understanding of why he's doing what he's doing apart from, you know, being a psycho. Um, but I think that <laughs> they don't dwell on that. And that's important because I mean, at the end of the day, it's ultimately no explanation is going to justify what's happening or it's going to give more insight into this person. So why waste time doing that anyways? Um, I did like, though, that, you know, the film ends with her shooting him in the face. But what does she do? She's like standing over him and repeats one of his lines to him. Right. Early on, he says to her, like, uh, what does he say? He says, give give us a smile or something uh, when she's clearly like been kidnapped and is being further, uh, further dismembered. And uh, and she says that right back to him. She's like, come on, give us a smile and then shoots him in the face. Like, I I think that's the perfect capping off point for that movie or finishing note of that movie because it's again you know giving him the ultimate taste of his medicine um and you don't know where it's heading but you know that for the moment these three are free so i think that in terms of like a conclusion it was pretty perfect for this movie uh yeah i i like that they had a small um shot to the phone and i think someone messaged on the app I think that was the last like short parting shot from the movie, right? So I think uh, it, it very nicely draws you back to like the beginning and how it all started, right? Yeah. I mean, how did we get here? <laughs> it was all, you know, it's just about you know modern dating, right? And and you know and yeah, and how it kind of <laughs> just became a full blown nightmare, right? Yeah, I think I think the idea is that watching this movie is really. Uh, it is really a you know I think a woman's worst nightmare really like I think I've had a guy do like stuff like that before like I mean not not <laughs> not to <laughs> please elaborate <laughs> <laughs> I I have all my limbs but um so basically you know uh he would like what Sebastian Sen did right like he set up like they were going to go to this place right and then he kind of changed plans halfway so it was the same thing with this guy right so we kept making a date to go somewhere right and he would i think like an hour before try to change it to something else right uh and this happened like a few times and i didn't like it so i never met with him yeah so but i felt like it was weird because we already had established like we were going to meet and this was the 
you know, agenda. And then now you're changing everything, right? right? And it's very last minute. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, it just, it just felt like, I just sometimes, you know, when you're watching something like this, you kind of feel like, did I dodge a bullet in some way or form, right? It, you know, you, you really don't know. There's so many, I think, women who go missing, right? And especially if you don't have, like, Noah, or she didn't, doesn't have, like, family, right. just got, like, one friend. It's very easy sometimes, you know, to just, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a scary, it's scary on that level. So, I'm very happy to be married. <laughs> <laughs> And never have to like deal with this. Um, I mean, <laughs> as far as I know, right? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the movie capitalizes on anxieties that, and it makes those anxieties very palpable, even for people, you know, again, you know, being a guy, I don't have the same anxiety with approach to dating, but, and, you know, that's a privilege, I suppose, of being male. It's still the idea, though, that like, they're able to make her anxiety about dating in general and the dangers and, you know, showing this exemplified version of a potential danger. And at the same time, it, you know, if you remove the satanic element of it or, you know, the care pack, creepy care packages element, like, like you'd said, there's pl- like countless women go missing every year or the sort of danger of dating and, you know, with the people being able to like tell their stories on social media now and things like that. It's coming more into, I think the general consciousness that that is a reality and whatnot. And, you know, I think the film at least does a great job of just establishing this very real world feelings around dating and experiences that, you know, women have with dating, not to say I, I now completely understand what it's like to be a woman after watching this, but just, it <laughs> makes you understand that, there is a lot of hesitation and fear that goes involved with that. And I think the film ending with that last message from a dating app, it's like, well, hopefully it's not going to be another, you know, cannibal, but it could be another scumbag piece of shit. Like the first guy from the Chinese food date, um, which, you know, that is, I would say, you know, again, he's more than likely not going to take you home and eat you or sell you, but it is the type of thing that, you know, having a person that could potentially be violent if you say the wrong thing, like that's a very real world and potentially plausible thing that you could encounter. And I think that the film showing you this heightened example of, you know, a woman's worst idea or worst uh, dating experience and then presenting you with an equally terrifying reality right at the end of the movie or the sort of the air of danger that could still be out there is uh, is something that I think is you know, hopefully thought-provoking and eye-opening for people that maybe have been the other person on that first date from the beginning of the film, maybe, who have, you know, been more of this person that is like, well, this is really all about me and this is just like a single-serving interaction or something like that. Like, I don't know. I find that, again, you know, horror being used as a vessel to have, to present uncomfortable realities and truths to people that some people that might not be as open-minded or realize their own behavior. I don't know. I think that, this movie is a good example of being able to be servicing and more than just, you know, all of the things that we enjoy it for it being, you know, great performances, having this rom-com horror movie split in it and everything. And uh, yeah, you know, I think it has something to say, which comes through uh, in a way that was very effective. <laughs> so how do you feel about the world of dating? Oh my God, the world <laughs> of dating, yeah, as a single person, the world of dating is still very terrifying, but uh <laughs> 
I don't think I'll ever find myself in a Norris situation, but it is the type of thing though that, you know, again, like whether whichever side of the table you're sitting from, I think they're presenting realities of using apps or dating in general that, you know, everybody can relate to. And, you know, it's again, my experience might be different than others, but I think, you know, capturing the mundanity of a first date, but then, you know, of course, showing off like what some male suitors can behave like and act like. Hopefully that's an eye opener for like how never to be for <laughs> for certain people that show up on first dates and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean that's that I think I mean that's 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 all you can hope for with art, right? Or with, with films, right? Like you can put it out there and you hope that people learn something from it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well I mean this was this was a fantastic movie, I think, for uh, for us to finally get to you know meet and chat because you and I have worked together for a while on uh, Culture Vultures, and I was so happy to have you on to chat about Fresh, a movie that uh, you definitely it seems enjoyed it as much as I did. So I'm really glad that uh, we were able to make this happen and we could chat. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me on. I think I I have I've had so much fun talking about it. I think I've not talked about it like at length. Mm. You know, I think. Um, uh, I mean, you always, I mean, I, you know, as you yourself as a writer, you get, you get this, you know, little buzz of satisfaction when you, when you write a review of a movie that you really enjoyed, because it's, it just comes easier, you know, um, you, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's always nice to, you know, yeah, fan, fan go over a really good movie. But I think the problem sometimes is that you can't really talk <laughs> to anyone at length <laughs> right. about it because they're just like, yeah, you know, yeah. So uh, yeah, even though, you know, they enjoy it, they're like, okay, we're done mm -hmm. like talking about it. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> fun to kind of, I think really, really unpack it and talk about everything. Yeah. I've definitely had to catch myself at work before where somebody's like, oh, like I heard you like movies. Like, what would you recommend? And I recommend something. And then I find that, oh, okay, I've been talking for two minutes now without stopping. Like, I probably need to, like, relax and realize they're not looking to have as much of an in-depth conversation as I am. And I'm like, oh, uh, anyways, I got to go make copies or something. I'll be back. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've had, I've had many a moment where I would suggest something. And then I realized that they're just trying to make small talk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so they don't actually want to hear my recommendations. So I'm like... All right, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I just yeah. view it as payback when my coworkers give me ear beatings about sports, something I just don't care about. And then I just have to keep back in my mind. They want to talk about sports all day, but when I want to talk about a movie, I, I cut myself a little bit of a break sometimes. But um, yeah. before I let you go, why don't, uh, why don't you plug your Twitter so that people can follow you and all of your uh, you know fantastic work? All right, so uh, hi guys. So you can follow me on Twitter at LitMySoul. Uh, you can also read my work on culturedvouchers.com, right? Um, we do uh, film stuff, TV, books, wrestling, games. So there's lots of content to enjoy. So please check it out if you want. And we love horror over at Cultured Vouchers. <laughs> so yeah, if you, yeah, I mean, obviously you're into that since you're listening to this. But um, yeah, check it out if you want. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining me. This was a pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJay. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.